Welcome to the Convention of States Legacy Podcast, a weekly program that looks back at historic content from our archives. We hope you are educated and inspired by today's edition. In today's episode, we listen to a speech from the floor of the South Carolina Senate. State Senator Chip Campson spoke in favor of the Convention of States Action Resolution on March 11, 2022. South Carolina later became the 19th state to join the COS movement. Senator from Charleston is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Thank you, Mr. Uh, President. Um, what we have before us is a joint resolution to make application for a convention of states under Article 5 of the United States Constitution. And I'll start with reading Article 5. Article 5 provides two ways to amend the federal constitution. One is by the initiation of Congress and another by initiation of the states. And a lot of people are not aware that the, the, the initiation by the states is a means of amending the federal constitution. The constitution is, has never been amended this way, or, but um, it came real close in 1911 with the 17th Amendment. The, the, the 17th Amendment is the amendment that uh, that changed the way that U.S. senators are elected. U.S. senators used to be elected by state legislatures. And there was a movement in the early part of the 20th century during the progressive era that uh, to remove that, to change that provision of the Constitution to where U.S. senators would be elected by popular vote in the states. And when the number of states needed to call an Article V convention for that purpose, the number that's needed is 34. 34 states need to make that application. After the 33rd state made the application and it was clear that a 34th state was going to do so likewise and result in a Article V convention of states, then the federal government, Congress, uh, exercised their authority and power under Article 5 to go ahead and amend the Constitution in 1911 with the 17th Amendment that resulted in the senators being elected by popular vote. So came, we, it's never been done, but it's became very close in 1911 with regards to the manner in which U.S. senators are elected. And I'd like to start by reading Article 5, um, or parts of it anyway, relevant parts. Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution. The Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution or on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states shall call a convention for proposing amendments, which in either case shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of the Constitution when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states. So for, for an Article V convention to be called, there must be 34 states, or two-thirds or 34 states, make application on the same subject matter, and for whatever they come up with at their 
convention to be ratified by the states requires a three-fourths, a very strong supermajority vote of three-fourths of the states to ratify it. Um, and why did the framers put this in the Constitution? Well, I think perhaps the best quote that I've seen on this was from Samuel Jones of New York at the ratifying convention for the for the state of New York. When the original Constitution was ratified, it was, it was ratified by the states, not by the General Assembly, but by conventions that were ad hoc conventions created for the purpose of ratifying the U.S. Constitution, and after that was done, they disbanded. And so there's a very interesting book I would encourage you, all of you to read that, that the senator from Edgefield sent it to me years ago after we adjourned, and I read it, and it's very, very enlightening. And that is a book by, by Pauline Meyer entitled Ratification. And it's about the ratification debate that occurred at, in the states as they debated whether they were going to ratify the U.S. Constitution as proposed by the Constitutional Convention. Very interesting because you, un you see how engaged the, the, the states were, how concerned they were about concentrated political power. They just defeated the greatest power on earth that had ruled the, the, the seas and therefore ruled the earth virtually for many, many years. And they defeated them and they were very, very concerned about the concentration of political power. And so the book, Ratification by Pauline Meyer really gives life to that and, and substance to that debate that occurred. And you see the mind of those in the states that were voting on whether they would form our new nation, concerned about the concentration of political power. They wanted to diffuse power, not concentrate it. And Samuel Jones in the New York Ratifying Convention put it this way, the reason why there are two modes for amending the Constitution, again, Congress can do it, the states can do it, I suppose to be this. It could not be known to the framers if there was too much power given to it or too little. They therefore prescribed a mode by which Congress might secure more if in the operation of the government it was found necessary and prescribed for the states a mode of restraining the federal government if upon trial and error and experience it may be found necessary. So really the framers, in their view, looked at this as a regulating valve, so to speak. Their, their number one goal in crafting the Constitution was to diffuse political power, not concentrate it. Just look at what they did. We deal with some of these issues on a daily basis here, but look at the principles and the precepts they embedded in the Constitution. Start with the separation of powers doctrine. You don't concentrate power in the hands of one or one branch. What happens when, when we do that? We're seeing today what's happening in Ukraine with Russia, what happens when one person or one branch has all the power? It always results in abuse of that power. At times, it results in massive 
genocide. And we're seeing that happening today because of the lack of the separation of powers. Because there is no constraint, no restraint upon Vladimir Putin and their form of government. There is no restraint. There is simply dictatorship. And that kind of power is always abused. That's why the framers, having experienced that in Great Britain, diffused political power among three branches, the legislative, the executive, and judicial branch, and, and equipped each branch with devices to keep the other two branches in check. We can pass a law. Our Supreme Court can rule it unconstitutional and, and validate, invalidate it. We can pass a law. The governor can veto it. We can override the governor's veto with a supermajority vote. The governor gets to make appointments to the executive branch. We get to confirm some of them, but we do it by a majority, by a vote in, in, in this body, and we, might or, we may or may not lose from time to time. So they, they went to great lengths to diffuse political power, not concentrate it. That's what the separation of powers is about. Then you look at federalism in the federal constitution. Some powers reside with the states. Some powers reside with the federal government. Again, dividing political power. There's a big debate going on today about the elections clause in the U.S. Constitution. And the election clause says the states shall prescribe the time, place, and manner of elections subject to regulations that Congress might pass. You see the framers' idea and their mentality in that clause. Diffuse power, don't concentrate it. Diffuse it between the federal and the state government. We see that, that's vivid today. There's debate right now about the elections clause in the U.S. Constitution. And it's put there for a reason, to diffuse power. In fact, in, in Federalist 53, Alexander Hamilton put it this way about the elections clause. The power over elections had to be placed somewhere. It could have been wholly in the federal government or wholly in the state government. But what we did was we put it primarily in the state government, but ultimately in the federal government. Again, that framer's mentality, diffuse power at every option, opportunity, don't concentrate it. We, saw, we see that in the elections clause. Samuel Jones is saying, we, the framers created this provision so that you could tweak that balance of power. You could tweak that balance of power between the state and the federal government. So it's a, it's a device that the framers understood was in the same genre, if you will, of these other devices. The Bill of Rights is another thing placed in the Constitution to diffuse power, not concentrate it. I like to use the analogy, some of you guys from the upstate and gals, you may not get this, but everyone in the low country understands what I'm about to say. The framers' view, vision was like placing three crabs in a bucket. And what happens when one of those crabs starts crawling out the bucket? The other crabs grab, reach up and grab them and hold them down and keep them from climbing out. And so the framers envision the three branches having equal power so that they could keep the other two branches in check. And in Federalist 51, Hamilton's, uh, Madison said this, in explaining the separation of powers, we put it in the Constitution so that political ambition would counter political ambition. In other words, 
He said, we harness political ambition to keep political ambition in check. It's utterly brilliant. You take human beings as they are, not as you wish they were. You wish they were totally benevolent, totally righteous, but we know that human beings aren't that way. And so you create a system where, where there is an incentive, there is the, the, you harness the political ambition that is extant in each branch and use it to keep the other two branches in check. And that, and that alone is the harbinger and protector of freedom and liberty. It's not the benevolence of any one person or any one ruler. We've seen how that happens. You look at China, you look at Cuba, you look at Russia today. That's what happens when you put your faith in man. One of my wife's favorite Bible verses is that she quotes all the time to me, and she's written a great book on prayer, by the way, um, Daily Acts. I'm very proud of what she's done, but this is kind of tongue-in-cheek. This is not good theology, but she'll often say to me, she'll quote the passage that says, quit trusting in man of what account is he? And she'll look, be looking at me square in the eyes. Um, quit trusting in man of what account is he? Whenever I mess up, which is quite frequently. But you can't trust in man. You can only trust in the structure of government to keep government in check and keep our freedom in check. And so that is what the framers, this is why they put this in the Constitution, Again, so that the Congress could, could amend and the states could amend. I'll quote Madison in Federalist 43. He said, the Constitution equally enables the general or the federal government, is what he was referring to, and the state governments to originate the amendment of errors as they may be pointed out by experience on one side or the other. And so I know some people say, you should never do this. You should never have an Article V convention. You should never have an Article V convention of states. And what I say is this, if you say never, what you're doing is taking one of the most powerful arrows the framers put in our quiver, and we're saying as state legislatures, we will never put that arrow in our bow and shoot it. We're just gonna unilaterally disarm, we will never do that. I think the framers would consider that a complete lack of understanding of their vision of what's in the federal constitution, the way in which they set separated powers. Now, you may not vote, you may not vote for this. You may not vote for this particular application for a constitutional amendment. But I would, I'm going to say this, you're dead wrong if you say we should never do this. This is an important weapon or tool the framers gave to the states to push back against the federal government, not, not to destroy the federal government, but just to keep the balance of powers in check. The balance of powers under the doctrine of federalism between the state and the federal government. Um, and so why, why so, so the particular, the amendment before us, we have an amendment to 3205, and what it does, it removes, it basically, it calls for a convention of states to address three things. Number one is term limits for federal officers, for Congress. For, for, for Congress. Um, number two, fiscal restraint. It's not, it's not explicitly a balanced budget amendment, but it is 
fiscal restraint, get control of this runaway, or the runaway federal debt. Um, and the third is reining in federal power. And so those are the three, those are the three items that would be, that would be addressed or the, the convention would be limited to. There are 18 calls right now for a constitutional convention on this subject matter. They're called applications. To count as an application, it has to be the same application, the same subject matter. If we pass this, it would be, we would be number 19. Thank you for listening to the Convention of States Legacy Podcast. To learn more about our grassroots movement, go to www.conventionofstates.com.